Welcome to the Blaze and Bush Podcast. I'm Jeff Bush, and along with my co-host Jim Blaze, we are here to share with you authentic stories of God's extraordinary revelation in ordinary lives. Our hope is that like Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, you may encounter the Lord through these humble experiences. So this week, Jeff is going to share his story of how God progressively and in stages revealed himself to Jeff and ultimately changed the direction of his life. So, um, Jeff, why don't you start from the beginning and and share your encounter uh, in what was it? What was the year? Yeah, so we're it's twenty sixteen. Okay, so take your self back to the summer of 2016. So it's been a couple of years ago. So I'm really going to make it dig back. But, you know, I think before getting into the story, providing some context is always helpful, sure. you know, sort of to understand the the frame of mind and, and where my heart is at this point in time. So to, to really give you a feel for things, like life is good. Um, I've got a beautiful wife. I've got two wonderful kids. You know, everyone's generally healthy. Um, I, 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 we live on a golf course. So, like, as a competitive golfer my whole life, this is really like my heaven on earth, <laughs> believe it or not. Somebody will cringe at that comment. But, like, at the time, that, that was my, my real heaven on earth. This is pre-revelation. Yeah, of yeah. course. I get that. That living the dream, right? The, yeah, the American dream. Yeah. So, like, I'm living the dream, and and in all reality, things look good on paper. Yeah, you know, like life is good on paper, but deep down inside, I'm just I'm really dissatisfied um, with a lot of things. You know, I, I have this level of dissatisfaction, this level of discontentment. Um, what I like to refer to as just festering restlessness, yeah, because I think it, it really makes it feel ugly. Yes, um, but I really don't have any reason to be unhappy. I mean, we're gainfully employed; um, things are good, you know. But I just, I, I'm not happy, um, and it's not necessarily outwardly showing, you know. But I'm just kind of going through the motions, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. I mentioned the fact that this is the summer of 2016. Um, so to help take you back to that summer, um, it's a hot August evening in August <laughs> in, in in the summer, Jim. Um, so I'm sitting in the basement and I, I have on the Summer Olympics. So Krista and I are watching the Summer Olympics, and Michael Phelps happens to be swimming. I mean, you remember Michael Phelps? Oh yeah, the yeah. Like he, he's a machine. He was unbelievable. Yeah, the most decorated Olympian. Of all times. And if memory serves me, like this guy has like 28 medals. Um, yep, I think least. only 23 of which are gold. Right. You know? <laughs> so apparently he took a break and a few races and only one silver or bronze. Right. You know? So we're, we're watching Michael Phelps. And um, again, as a competitive golfer, my wife was a competitive soccer player. So we've got sports and athleticism in the competitive genes, you know, flow through our household. Uh, but I happened to lean over to her and I was like, hey, you know, Michael Phelps is a decorated Olympian, but at the end of the day, he's still an amateur athlete. You know, I was like, how does this guy, clearly he's, he's making endorsement money, but you're like, how much money is this guy worth just as a swimmer? Yeah. Um, it was just kind of a very 
nonchalant question, right? <laughs> you know, at the time. Um, so I grabbed the iPad, and you know, this is a couple of clicks away. You know, Google Michael Phelps's net worth, and at the time, I think it said something like fifty million dollars. Wow. Um, now that he's retired, he's probably made a few more bucks than that, but it's an incredible amount of money for an amateur athlete by definition. I'm I'm a pretty amateur athlete and I I haven't made that much yet. Yeah, we're we're only a little bit 50 million shy of that Just 50 million. Roughly. <laughs> um so I, but I'm I'm intrigued by you know Phelps at this point and we're just kind of sitting there watching TV. So I'm scrolling down further on the iPad and I stumble upon this this sports center feature. Okay? It's kind of it looks kind of like a documentary. It was 13 to 14 minutes long. Okay. Um so I I clicked on it, and really before viewing the documentary, um, my perception of Phelps is, you know, he's a great athlete, um, he's clearly wealthy, like, his life's got to be good, right? Right. right. Again, he's on paper, famous. by definition, yeah, yeah. he's famous, um, but I started watching this documentary, and it turns out his life was in total turmoil mm. prior to training for Rio in sixteen. Um, he had a very broken relationship with his father. I mean, a very broken relationship with his father. Oh, he had two DUIs. Uh. Um, you know, he had just been really struggling. There was a point in fact that, um, if memory serves me, he had locked himself in his apartment and had even contemplated committing suicide. Oh, wow. So he's in the darkest of dark places, um, which is very much so different than, you know, what most of us perceive to be, you know, the reality of a lot of these great athletes we see on TV. Right. You you imagine, you impose uh, your expectations of how happy you would be to succeed on what they're feeling right, right. now. Right, yeah. right, right. So I continue to watch this a little bit further, um, and up pops Ray Lewis. So I'm going to challenge you. Again. Huh. Do you remember Ray Lewis? So Ray Lewis was the great linebacker Sugar? for the Baltimore. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that was somebody else. <laughs> so he, Ray, this, this Ray Lewis was a great linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. Right. Yes, I do remember. So again, top of his game. Um, now there's an interesting Moses reference here because Ray Lewis had some challenges um, quite a ways back with, um, you he, know, I, he was placed in a basket in a river at one point in his life? No. Oh. It's a different story. Okay. So I'll just move on from there. Okay. But it may have in, may have involved some um a death. Oh. And some murder charges. Yikes. Yeah. That kind of Moses reference, not the tar basket in the river. Got it. Okay. So <laughs> anyways, God is using interesting characters throughout people's lives to change lives. And Ray Lewis is a very um unique character to be placed in this story. Yeah. So Take my word for that one. I'll trust you. So anyways, Ray Lewis makes this reference to a book called The Purpose Driven Life, which is by Pastor Rick Warren, which I've mentioned before in yes. prior podcasts. Yeah. So Ray is a great Christian man, okay? Okay. So Ray takes this book, Purpose Driven Life, to Michael Phelps. He had been friends with Phelps for years. They're both in Baltimore. Um, so Phelps ends up reading The Purpose Driven Life, and he I guess, texts Ray um, almost immediately and references the fact that, you know, hey, this book has really got my attention. It's changing my life. Like, he's turning the corner is the point here. Okay. And really what I'd love to say here is the fact that this book, The Purpose Driven Life, who seems to have changed 
Ray Lewis's life, or at least been instrumental in Ray Lewis's life, and been instrumental in Michael Phelps's turnaround. You know, how could this book be so powerful that it impacts these very strong, seemingly very successful men? Right. And I'm at this point in time where, again, internally, there's this this festering restlessness. So the next day, I was like, hey, if this book could be so powerful to these men, I, I'm curious, right? So I, I ended up purchasing the audio book. Okay. And for the next four months, I mean, four months, Jim, I listened to this book on my commute back and forth to the office every single day, like clockwork. So my home and my office... At the time, about 45 minutes away. So you're talking 90 minutes a day minimally that I'm listening to The Purpose Driven Life for four straight months. Over and over and over. I couldn't tell you how many times I've listened to it. And all this is planted because you were curious about the network net worth of Michael Phelps. Yeah, so yes. a very societally driven curiosity now leads me to this book that is encapsulating at least 90 minutes of my day every day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So now you would have thought this would have been about the great revelation that I had. Right. But it wasn't. <laughs> but no. <laughs> it was not. But wait, there's more. Yeah. So I'm listening to this book and now it's about January and I've gotten to the point where, you know, finally, you know, I've, I've stopped listening to the book and you would have thought I would have had this great revelation by now. So long story short, the purpose driven life is about, you know, the fact that your life is not about you. The fact is that you are living life for God's purpose. Right. You know, it's really amazing. The first line in the book literally is, it's not about you. Okay. Yeah. So if you don't learn from that right off the bat, then you're going to struggle with the next 39 days worth of material that the book is designed (laughs) around. So anyways, it's January. I've sort of gotten past the book and I spend the next... 10 months, um, just kind of continuing to go through the motions. You know, I know that God has planted this seed in my life. He's planted this seed in my mind and in my heart that's saying, look, Jeff, this life isn't about you. There's more to life. And I should mention this. Um, I'm not coming out of left field in terms of Christianity at this point. Right. Um, you know, faith is definitely a part of, of my life, but it's not nearly as deep and profound as, you know, I think God had destined for me. I'm at this point in time more of a checkbox on Sunday type right. of Christian, if uh, that makes sense. And a lot of people are. I mean, th- that is not a unique uh, situation. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and I end up spending the next 10 months just meandering through life, waking up every morning, kind of running the hamster wheel. You know, going to work, coming home, going to bed, going to work, coming home, going to bed. And this festering restlessness is, is getting worse. Um, it's just mounting to levels that, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get frustrated. Um, and it's starting to showcase itself in my life. So really, um, just to interject, like this is what you had been doing actually for a long time. But now there's an awareness and a discontent with it uh, that wasn't there prior. Yeah, it's a definite frustration, and I definitely can make the connection that God is trying to tell me something, but okay. I still don't know what it is at this point. Okay, okay. You know, I feel like there's some connectivity being made, but I don't understand this. 
at all. Right. Um, it's still about me. <laughs> right. So we're in October at this point in time, and our parish is offering a retreat for men. And it's a fatherhood retreat. Um, and it's a bunch of, call them like demographic uh, men, you know, elementary age fathers, middle school fathers. You know, for the most part, these are these are men going through kind of the the heart of their life right now, raising kids, um, you know, expanding their careers, right, et cetera. Right. So I'm intrigued by this fatherhood retreat. In fact, I would say my wife was more intrigued than <laughs> I was um, and basically said, look, you're going to go on this retreat. It was not forceful, but it was strongly encouraged. Um and I think it's important to understand at this point in time, like, we're, we're going to a Catholic parish. My wife and my two daughters are Catholic. The, the caveat here is the fact that I'm a Protestant. Right. So I'm a Lutheran, um, raised Lutheran, Lutheran household, um, and so on. But I'm a little nervous about going on this retreat because it's, in essence, a Catholic-sponsored sure. retreat. Sure, sure. Um, and I thought this would sort of be my my card to getting out of the retreat. However, I ended up calling one of the friends that um, I knew was an organizer, and I said, hey, you know, are, are non-Catholics allowed to go on this retreat? And to my surprise, or maybe not to my surprise, he was like, absolutely. Like, <laughs> I'll sign you up. Yeah, yeah. So I went back to my wife, and I was like, hey, t- it turns out I'm going on this retreat, and she was ecstatic. I bet. I um, bet. So now I, I got to tell you this, because this is, th- this is quite ironic <laughs> in this whole story. So um, this retreat is taking place on what I believe was the 11th, 12th, and 13th of October. And why okay. those dates stand out to me is I turned 40 on October 12th okay. of 2016. So like instead of going to Vegas or on a guy's golf trip right. or something like that, I'm in a bunkhouse with nine other dudes in Carlinville, Illinois. On a retreat that your wife sent you to. For my 40th birthday party. Right. <laughs> so like, I mean, it's pretty much 100% the opposite of what I would have imagined my 40th birthday party yes. would have been like. Yes, but it's amazing because God clearly had a hand in changing my life on that retreat. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Carlinville, Illinois, um, it was an amazing retreat. We're kind of out in, in rural southern Illinois. Um, there are approximately 75 other men on this retreat. Okay. That's good size. Um, yeah. It was a really touching, it was a really touching experience regardless of really kind of what your faith background was. Yeah. Um, God had had extended a hand into this ministry to really raise up all men that were there. And this brotherhood and this bond, I mean, it has created a bond with some of these men, Jim, that, that I would call some of these guys, you know, some of my best friends today, whom which I knew, you know, I did not know going into this. Okay. Retreat. Uh, but it was that that um that strong of a bond, yeah. you know, being developed in this atmosphere. So the real meat of what I want to tell and the real critical component of this story is the fact that 
Um, it's Saturday afternoon at the retreat, and one of the deacons from our parish um, happened to be sort of, I'll call it chaperoning. Okay. <laughs> the retreat. His responsibility was much stronger than that, but um, he's an Iowa guy, so, you know, and I'm an Iowa guy, so I'm, I'm going to joke about the fact that he was chaperoning he the was retreat. The, yeah, yeah. Um, so Deacon ends up um, conducting a session on Saturday afternoon, and after this session gets over with, he mentions to, you know, all of the guys that they're going to be having confession. So... As you can imagine, I'm not Catholic, so right. there is no way I'm going to confession. Like, right. are you kidding me? I, I'm going to express my 40 years worth of pent up sin um, outwardly. Like right. that—that was—that was not happening. Let's just put it that way. Right, right, and that's not uncommon on a Catholic retreat when there are people who are not Catholic there. Yeah, usually you find time for prayer for those. Well, so into that point, Deacon says. For those of you that are not going to be attending confession, in the back of the room there are some rosaries, and there's a pamphlet that describes the rosary, and he suggested that you grab a rosary and a pamphlet, and you find a quiet area somewhere on this campus. Again, it's campus, um, rural southern Illinois, there's a lot of land, Um, it happens to be like an 80 degree perfect wow day yeah um now how was that as a lutheran guy there's a deacon a catholic deacon who's like why don't you pray the rosary was that that had to be a little outside the norm huh well he didn't say pray the rosary okay okay yeah which i think is important to understand here so he said take a rosary and a pamphlet and read the pamphlet about the rosary. Okay. And reflect on it. That's interesting as well. Go ahead. Yeah, so I take this rosary, take this pamphlet, and there's a football field on this campus. So I end up going out, again, beautiful day. I go out and sit in this football field by myself. So behind me is the buildings that we're coming from on this campus. The other side is a cornfield. Okay, okay. (laughs) There's there's an atmosphere of solitude. So yes, we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sit down in this field. I'm holding a rosary for the first time ever. Okay, okay, and I don't have any expectation. Sure. But all of a sudden, I'm sitting in this field. It's dead silent, and I begin to hear in my mind and in my heart. The Hail Mary being spoken by my youngest daughter, who happens to be six years old. Oh, my gosh. At this particular time. Um, I'm hearing Hail Mary, full of grace, over and over and over. And wow. I'm having to take a deep breath there. Yeah. Just saying yes. this. I see that. <laughs> out, out loud. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm taken back by this. Um, I'm a pretty emotional guy as it is. Well, that's that's pretty penetrating. That's I think that would you would have to be pretty hard-hearted not to be impacted by that, I would imagine. Yeah. And I've heard the Hail Mary before. Don't get me wrong. Certainly. I have heard the prayer. 
And I have heard her walking around the house saying the prayer. Right. Having to memorize or... Yeah, but I've never sat down to really pray the rosary. Right. Right. So I'm sitting out in this field. I am hearing her say the rosary over and over. And, and, and Jim, I am overwhelmed by emotion. I am I am crying. Um, and, and when I say crying, like I'm talking like the chin quivering. Oh, yeah. Type yeah. of tears. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and good news, I'm facing the cornfield because there's 75 other men behind me that right. I don't want to see me bawling my eyes out. Um, but I don't mind. I've told all of them the story before. So, um, so I get to this point where I begin to settle down emotionally. Yeah. And I just think I'm being overwhelmed by the adoration, uh, just the strength of faith, this bond of men that's being brought forth by this retreat, which I had never been on a retreat in my life. So if you if you ask me what was the emotion from, um, I feel like I was shedding weight. Okay. You know, I, I was kind of letting go of a lot of um, baggage over the years, maybe. Um, I'm turning 40s, so like what influence is that having on this moment that right. I'm, uh, I'm, I can't comprehend at that time. But what is what is so profound what is so profound is after I finish hearing the Hail Mary, the rosary being spoken in my daughter's voice, I hear another woman's voice. Okay. And this woman's voice merely says, welcome home. Oh my gosh. So I didn't technically understand what that meant. Right. At that particular, at that particular moment. Right. Um, so I ended up going back, and I sought out Deacon later that evening. And, and I said, Deacon, I said, I, I've got to describe this experience I was having out in this field. And without hesitation, he says to me, you realize that Mother Mary oftentimes speaks to us through a childlike voice. Huh. No and I kidding. mean, it was like turning the faucet oh, back bet. on. Yeah, yeah. And I know Mary is the mother of God, right? Right. right. Mary is, um, you know, obviously a pivotal, a pivotal, a, a pivotal figure in faith. Sure. Um, and I'm overwhelmed by the fact that Mother Mary may have inserted herself into this moment in my life. Yeah. Yeah. But I knew at that point in time that everything the the way I had been living my life the the way the selfish way I had been living my my life that had to change. Christ had to become the center of my being. Not only the center of of my life, but the center of my family life, the right. center of my marriage. Yeah. Everything had to be set aside that had been selfish. In, in in the way I was living my life previously. That's awesome. The you know as you're sharing all that, it reminds me um, really of a number of stories. First of all, the first story that actually came to mind was the wedding feast at Cana, and I I think of the couple. They're running out of wine. Jesus is there. Um, surely Jesus, the Son of God, 
is aware of their situation. Um, but I think to grow the family of God, he allows his mother to be the one to step up and say, to bring, to bring the couple to him, not physically, obviously, but, uh, to intercede for that couple and say, uh, you know, they have no wine and, and to call him to act in that. It sounds like she saw you and with love said, you know what, you, you need, you need this experience, um, and, and interceded on your behalf to bring you to Christ. I, I love the words um, I heard somewhere that the last words that Mary says are in that ex- that are recorded are in that exchange when she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you, right? And uh, it sounds like your realization that, you know what, my priorities have to change here. This is This is really an encounter with Christ. This is a turn away from sin and believe in the Gospels, as Jesus began uh, his proclamation in, uh, I think it's Mark's, Mark's Gospel. But it's done through the intercession of Our Lady. Her voice, you hear, she welcomes you, and there's but there's this deep realization that, you know what, these things that I thought were important, uh, they that can't be it. Yeah, it was definitely this injection of motherhood. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, there's no doubt about that. That's really beautiful, why don't we take uh, just a couple minutes and then uh, we'll come back and uh, spend some time reflecting. Hey, it's Jim again. You know, I'm the kind of guy that when he finds something really worthwhile, likes to tell people about it. So I wanted just a minute here to tell you about a line of Christ-centered clothing called God's Brand. I personally have several God's brand items, pullovers, button downs, a really nice quarter zip fleece. They're stylish and they help me represent my faith in everyday life. When you get a chance, check out godsbrand.com. They have all sorts of styles for almost any occasion. Again, they're at godsbrand, all one word, dot com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. We're back. We are. And, um, Jeff, that is an amazing story. Thanks for sharing that, first of all. But uh, I'm just amazed. You start with the whole thing, watching the Olympics. Like what, just an ordinary, I mean, I watched those Olympics. We watched Michael Phelps. uh, And you had just a very commonplace uh, question. I'm sure a million people have looked that up. I'm sure it probably popped up as one of the Google questions when you started to type it in and uh, you know, how many people went from there, though, did God then lead them to read about Ray Lewis and the purpose-driven life? And I mean, all of these steps, it's amazing how God took you where you were and led you by the hand, really, uh, from one step in just this progressive manner, from watching the Olympics to reading the purpose-driven life, which you wouldn't have just gone out and picked up, right? Right. I mean, that's uh, not on your radar, except for the fact that you looked up about Michael Phelps. Right, right. And 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 one thing I do want to say there is just how, you know, this is this is mentioned in the Catechism. You know, how God who creates and conserves all things by his word provides men with constant evidence of himself in created realities. 
That's oh man, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's amazing that the created reality in this instance is the Summer Olympics and it's Michael Phelps and it's Ray Lewis. These are athletes speaking they're 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 coming to me. Right. They're speaking right. they're they're coming the Lord is speaking through them and connecting with me on a plane that is appealing and digestible to me at that moment. Right. Oh, yeah. And how accessible. I mean, it's just, it's right there in your living room on your television, but that God took that and made this connection for something deeper. Because without that experience of the Olympics, you don't get into uh, purpose-driven life. Right. Without the purpose-driven life, you don't, it doesn't awaken you to your restlessness and Without that, you don't end up at this retreat where you encounter Our Lady and the Rosary. And I mean, uh, it's just one one progressive measure, these steps that God takes to get you to where he needs you to be. Yeah, and you have, you've spoken to me in the past about the progressive revelation of God. Well, you know, that was a, that was a process as well. That's it, and that's, uh, you know, it's throughout the scriptures, it's throughout, uh, there's so many examples, um, but to, to live it out, I think, is fantastic, and to witness to it. I think, really, we can see one of those examples in uh, the conversion of St. Paul, um, when he is, he is actually thinking that he's doing God's will, he's on the path to go and persecute the church, when he has a uh, even more... Uh, stunning, what uh, even more uh, aggressive revelation of Christ, right? And uh, and from there he is struck blind and he fasts for three days. So there is a literal hunger in his response to encountering Christ. Yours was a uh, sort of an emotional and spiritual hunger that you were awakened to. Is it selfish to say that I'm okay with the emotional and spiritual hunger versus the, yeah. <laughs> I think the struggle the struggle that he went through? I think that uh, God calls each person individually. So I think that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he knew what you needed. He knew what Paul needed. And so in Paul's story, though, he ends up in Damascus, right? And um, he encounters, is it, let's see, I have it here. It's Ananias. Ananias. That... Uh, that God calls, and, and that in and of itself is a great story, where Ananias is called by God to pray for Saul, and he protests uh, because Saul is this great sinner, right? And he's like, hey, he's been sent to persecute, and God shares with Ananias, I am about to reveal to him how much he, su- he shall suffer for my name. Uh, that basically there is more to Paul's story than what has been done so far. But for this moment, Ananias is to, is to pray over Paul and scales fall from his eyes. Yeah, let's just think about that one. But scales falling from the, his eyes. It's, it's a little disturbing, really. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's kind of an image. My kids often react. It's in a, a blistering image, a, Jim. Uh, see, I, wait, see, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my kids react in a very guttural fashion. They're they're fairly disturbed. I'm disturbed right now yeah. <laughs> thinking about it, and I've read and heard this story many times over. And it is a little bit, but uh, 
But this really frank reality, it's that he couldn't see. He's being placed physically where he was spiritually. There's a blindness. He was walking in a blindness. He, he was unaware of his situation until God made it evident with a physical blindness. Now when Ananias prays over him, both the physical and the spiritual are taken away, and he is aware of where he is. And that's that's really kind of what happened to you. Yeah, in, in my case, it was certainly the restlessness inside. Right. But then my encounter with the Blessed Mother is really the scales being removed from my eyes. My eyes are opened at that point in time. There's a lot to comprehend from that point forward. But in that particular moment, I think I was overwhelmed with the gift of new sight. Right. Well, and she she made you aware of your the reality of your situation, that, you know what, this is home. Welcome home. I mean, I think yeah. those words are really uh, meaningful, that those were the first words she says Besides, of course, the prayer in your daughter's voice, the first word she says to you, the real revelation of her statement is, welcome home. This is home. Well, and that'll make much more sense to the listener in future podcasts as we talk about chapter two. Yeah, we'll definitely have to dig into this deeper. Of of this story, because I do feel like I'm standing in the doorway of a new life at that point in time. Right. And that's the... We speak of God's revelation, but there's also the response of faith from that revelation uh, that is always freely given. We have to freely respond back to the Lord. He invites us, and then he unfolds even greater revelation if we respond to the initial to the initial call. Well, and I feel like I had been responding to this. so that's that's a a very powerful call. At that particular moment, what is really interesting as you back up and sort of reverse engineer the steps of this process, you know, the 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 discontent, this restlessness that I had been having, the Lord had been calling me with those feelings. Um, he had been knocking on my door with Michael Phelps and with the Purpose Driven Life and with this retreat. It was the many knocks, but it's once I began to um, really surrender, I guess, in that particular moment, and that's really the the emotion that I was shedding when I hear my daughter praying the rosary. It's really allowing that door then to be opened as I surrender, and that's when the Blessed Mother says, welcome home, and the door's open. Right, right. It's... You know, it reminds me, um, and why don't we close with this? It reminds me of a very famous quote from St. Augustine. And it's usually you only hear the last part of it, but I wanted to start a little bit earlier. Um, Augustine said in his confessions, despite everything, man, though but a small part of your creation, wants to praise you. You yourself, he's speaking to God, you yourself encourage him to delight in your praise, for you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blazing Bush Podcast. Be sure and check out our website at blazingbush.com, as well as follow and like Blazing Bush on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, God bless. Thank you.